This is Strength Agenda Radio, the podcast where the strong go to get smarter. Each episode features some of the most interesting athletes and coaches in the strength world, sharing their favorite stories, expertise, biggest mistakes, and training tips. And now, here's your host, Tom Soroka. Episode 29 of Strength Agenda Radius featuring the boss lady of USAW, Ursula Garza Papandrea, whose experience and knowledge in the sport is pretty much unmatched and it makes this week's episode a must listen to. But before we get to that, let's answer some questions. So today's question was a DM I received on the gym's Instagram account recently and I thought it was perfect for today. So here it is. goes, Tom... I noticed in your team's current training, you were using banded sumo poles, and in a previous training cycle, you performed box squats. What gives? Louis Simmons and Westside have proven time and time again they know nothing about weightlifting. So why bother? Well, here's the thing. Contrary to popular belief, I don't know everything. I've been actually full-time coaching only about two, three years, and I still have a ton to learn in this field. So when I see something that I think might help my lifters out, I research the hell out of it and I find a way to fit it in with what we are doing with training. But since you asked specifically about the conjugate system, here's a little history lesson. Westside barbell training, you know, they they derived their system from the conjugate method. And you want to guess where the conjugate system came from? Weightlifting. Yep. The Dynamo Club, a prominent weightlifting club back in the 50s, used the system and the same texts are where Louis got his ideas on how he was going to train his powerlifting club. Now, here's the thing, you know, most folks like to forget. West side came from conjugate, but conjugate is not necessarily West side. You know, when athletes ask how I train, you know, our system or, you know, how our weightlifting team operates, my answer is always that we train in a conjugate-ish type setting. We push a lot of variations of the main lifts to heavy percentages. So one day while I was looking at training plans, I thought, why don't I do the same thing to the poles and squats? I did this with snatches and cleans. Why not do the same thing with poles and squats? So I began to write out every variation of the squat and pole, and of course, box, box squats and sumo deads were added in those lists. Here's the thing. We probably do a lot of stuff at our gym in particular that would raise an eyebrow or two, but I don't post about it. it it's not a secret or anything like that. It's just that if there's you know some bigger overarching principle that I think can help other coaches and lifters, I'm going to share it. But now back to your question on box squats and sumo deadlifts. In my experience, I see a ton of lifters suffer from jumper's knee. I did for sure when I was competing, and it got so bad that, you know, at one point, I did not want to train anymore. What fixed it? There was no crazy, you know, stretching routine or PT that I saw. It was simply adding in a ton of posterior chain work to the tune of a 2 to 1 ratio with my anterior chain work. And some weeks, that ratio was bumped up to 3 to 1. See, I was a strong puller, but it was all in my back. I wasn't recruiting my glutes and hamstrings like I should have been. And wouldn't you know it, once I did this for a few months, my knee pain pretty much went away. So while I was working with lifters, I kept the same principles in mind. We usually operate on a two to one, you know, posterior to anterior chain ratio, especially with our accessory work and our pulls at the strength agenda. Now, fast forward to the current day where I'm working with Jack Canberra, and he is a big proponent of box squats and sumos as well. He'll tell you, when we first started working together, I was on board with the box squats, but I was not on board with sumos. I fought it, but I wanted to practice what I preach, and I trusted the system wholeheartedly and stuck with it. Not only did I start getting stronger overall, but my weightlifting not only maintained its numbers when I was at MDUSA, but it's starting to get a little bit better. Huh. 
So I'm going to pause and say this isn't a cure-all. But what I notice is you know, there are three areas that you want a lifter to be strong in. Their legs, their hips, and their backs. What areas do box squats and sumo deadlifts affect in training? You guessed it. So time to bring this home. My point is that yes, we do these movements, but we don't solely rely on these movements as our main strength work. Why? Because at this point in time, I don't know if they will 100% have the best carryover to the lifts, but they are a great change of pace to get the athlete moving and training differently than they normally do outside of the traditional pulls and squats. If you want to set a PR every day, then you have to do something different every day. And as long as my athletes are continuing to improve and get better at the sport of weightlifting, I'm going to keep trying to learn as much as I can from any coach who will talk to me. And if they have something I can use, I will add it to my arsenal. And then I have nothing I think I can use, I will simply discard it for the time being. If you want to be a good coach or even a student of the game, you have to do a lot more listening and a lot less talking. So let's do just that. But before you listen up to our next episode, give me two claps and a Ric Flair. Woo! Welcome to Strength Agenda Radio. My guest today is the current vice president of the International Weightlifting Federation and the president of the board for USA Weightlifting, as well as at one point a phenomenal elite level weightlifter for the United States. My guest today is Madam. Do we call you Madam President? What What is your title now? Um, some people call me Madam President. Some people call me. Madam Vice President. Most people call me Ursula. Like I'm going to go with Tom. Madam President <laughs> Ursula Garza. I think you normally Drake. call me Ursula, Tom. I know. I call you Ursula, but yeah. people need to show some respect. Yeah. So Ursula Garza Papandrea is my guest today. Ursula, how's it going? Good. How are you? Oh, just living the dream. I get to finally, I finally get you on the podcast. It's only, was our third attempt? Second attempt? It's been it's been a little while since we first <laughs> you've, talked about it. You've been a little busy. I think every time I look on social media, you're flying to another part of the state or the, the the United States or the world or something like that. You know, just hanging out, rubbing elbows with all the top names and everything like that. But I've, I've gotten really excited about domestic travel only. <laughs> and it just never pans out. Like as soon as you think, okay, I don't have to. I literally thought, oh, I don't have to leave the country until october yeah and that and then they threw in uh, an executive board meeting in, oh gross in august but at least it's in lausanne switzerland oh so that's nice not, yeah no it's not the worst place but it's not like you know we i see anything anywhere i right. go really you you literally fly in have two days or three days or four days of meetings and fly out Right. So people think like it's, I mean, I could be in it. I could just drive to Houston and do the same thing. Like it yeah, right. It's, uh, it just takes longer to get there. So yeah, just a little bit longer. So for those who don't know much about your background and if they don't, they should, but unfortunately people still live under rocks out there. We were, you know, discussing. I, I have people ask me, um, if I was, if, if I'm a weight, if I'm a weightlifter, if I was ever. That's funny. That, okay, so let, well, let's talk about that. a lot of people were, I mean, there are some people that were literally born after I was done lifting that are competing. There's that's a fair. lot, our juniors. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah. So give people a little bit of a background on your athletic endeavors and how you got to the point where you are at now. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, it all started because I was the captain of my cheerleading squad. <laughs> that's nice. actually true. Uh, I was the captain of cheerleading squad and I jumped a lot. Yeah. So I, I, I put that in my athletic background because when you jump every day for hours, it becomes part of your athletic background, I suppose. 
um, and tumbling and stuff like that. But um, when I first went to University of Texas at the age of 18, well, I started lifting weights when I was 14, and this was like 1983, 4, when I first started lifting weights. Right. It wasn't like there were a lot of women lifting. Um, and then I, I went to uh, University of Texas, and when I went into the weight room there, which was basically like the basement, yeah. one of the guys asked me if I wanted to try Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting. And I said, um, sure. <laughs> Not knowing what either of them were. Right, and right, right. I hate bench. I'm I'm really weak at pressing. Mm-hmm. And so that between that and those tight suits that yeah. they use for powerlifting and they'd wrap your knees and then like pick you up and put you in front of the squat rack. Yeah. I was like, I I can't do all this. I'm gonna have to I have to walk myself to a, onto a platform. There so I never competed in powerlifting, even though I trained for, you know, maybe six weeks more. Uh, for powerlifting and I was okay. simultaneously doing weightlifting and then I went to my first weightlifting meet and I was like I like this I'm going to do this nice. and then I what weight class were you when you competed? 56 well when it's, I started it was the you... not the last classes not the new class obviously not the new classes not the last classes and not the classes before that the classes before that oh, okay. so like all the recent weight class changes I actually competed through except for this one there aren't too many people that can actually say that. Uh, yeah, the people of my generation. <laughs> well, you know what I'm saying? Like, people that are, like, competing now, like, because it was really funny because people are like, this is insane. They're changing the weight classes. I was like, actually, they've done it before. Yeah, have, they've done it a couple times. Changes. And, uh, you know, Greg and I uh, talked about it, and I, I had the paperwork that had, like, all the different weight class changes. And I was um, a 56 originally, and then I went to 54. Mm-hmm. No, I went to 59 when they changed them. Then I went back. Then I went to 54. Okay. Uh, So I competed at two world championships as a 54. One is a 59, one is a 56. And then when they changed the classes again, I went a 53 was just going to be too low. So I went 58. Nice. So those were like the span of the classes Mm -hmm. that that I was in, right in that range. So what was it like when you competed? What was your best snatch? What was your best clean and jerk? Uh, my best snatch was 80. I know, not impressive. Um, but, I mean, it was good for back then. Yeah. Uh, because I, I retired by 2000. Okay. Um, and 99, I was really hitting my best numbers. Uh, but I got I hurt my back. And so it, I was just in pain and I think, frankly, tired. I was in my 13th year of competing. And my best clean and jerk in competition was 105. Nice, I very cool. 110 and then missed the jerk and then about three weeks later I jerked it and then I was like really I was like okay at least I can clean a jerk now which was funny because I always thought I was a better snatcher and I actually really? like snatch more yeah um, but I just I would open we had the halves so I would open at like 72 and a half and then go 75 77 and a half and not even get to 80 at most national meets gotcha and then the couple of times that I snatched 80 in competition they were like local meets and I did 75 80 and then my ex-husband was coaching me at the time. He would make me pass on my third attempt, and he did that twice. And so I always oh, wow. feel like maybe I, I mean maybe I could have snatched more. Like yeah. I never even tried to snatch more than eighty, and I had snatched it so many times. I feel like I'm a little like mad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because I, I, the disparity between my snatching clean and jerk. Oh right. I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame lie. you for feeling that way. So competition-wise, what was like the pinnacle for you of what you were you able to achieve as an athlete? Um, I broke one clean and jerk record, so that was fun. But um, nice. yeah, that was it. I wasn't like the best. I mean, I went to 
I was on the world team. Like, the first world team I qualified for was technically 91. Yeah. But I went to Worlds from 92 to 96. Very cool. Uh, being on Team USA is awesome. And, oh, I can only imagine. Um, the big deal at that point, I won nationals a couple of times. I won American Open, I think, something like eight or nine times. Very I'd cool. have to go back and count. Um, I won the Nakachi a couple of times, which is the predecessor to the Pan Ams. The women weren't in the Pan Ams yet. Okay. I won those. Um, so, I mean, I guess technically I'm an international champion. There you go. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Hey. Yeah. It's, champ is a champ. Sure. So, um, I mean, I am, but it's not yeah. what it is. Yeah, so you you retired in 2000, mm-hmm. and then you got into coaching, right? Well, I got into coaching in the early 90s because okay. there just weren't really coaches around. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I dabbled in and out like the first couple of years that I was competing um, because I was going to school and working a lot. Like yeah. I still do. Uh, I don't go to school anymore, but I still work a lot. Um, yeah. And then I, I picked a girl named Stacy Ketchum, asked me if I would help her. Yeah. And Stacy was a a freaking hoss yeah um and i was like sure i mean i'm not sure i know what i'm doing but i had john coffee as my mentor yeah and uh i had trained with angel spassoff for a while but at that point i was on my own this was like uh the end of 92 the beginning of 93 um and i so i she just started training with me i was writing her programs and she was training with me and i was trying to teach her how to live i was coaching her but yeah. i i think i frame it that way because I don't feel like I knew what I was doing enough. Yeah. Um, but I was still trying. Like like most beginner coaches where they're right, questioning absolutely. stuff, but they're trying. So and um she ended up making world teams. She was just a beast. What weight class was she in? She was seventy five. Oh, very cool. Very cool. I remember her cleaning uh one twenty five in the Texas State weight room. Yeah. With a bunch of football players in there and I just looked around and like realizing like she just out clean and jerk most of y'all and I know it. I can tell by your faces. Yeah, right. Um that's gotta be a just, cool feeling. She was like beast strong, um, yeah, and just a real natural talent. Uh had played basketball and volleyball. She actually coaches now. Um, Very cool. In Bastrop. But um and so I so I was coaching and I coached a whole bunch of girls that competed at nationals back then, and I would only coach girls. Yeah. I wouldn't coach guys until the early two thousands. Okay. I finally started uh, so that, some guys. that brings me to my next question. So for somebody like me who got, you know, into the sport well after, you know, 2000, um, what was the landscape like for both female athletes and coaches versus um, where it is now? Like, I don't think now people uh, realize. Way, 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 yeah. Way so explain different. that I mean, a little bit for people real, who might not. There was, okay. So half, I would say about half of the guys that were involved were supportive. Okay. And probably about half of the men, but the, you know how it is. Like those people don't say anything. The more vocal were the ones that uh, didn't support lifting. And particularly, I mean, I think they were okay with, okay, fine. If the women want to lift weights, that's fine. Yeah. As long as they don't take up any of our time, space or money. Oh, geez. And so, um, I actually, by the time I started competing, my first nationals was 88. Okay. Men and women were competing together at nationals. And um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrible, but definitely once I made the world team, I started seeing the pushback that was uh, present amongst the people who are actually in the federation, specifically coaches. Right. And um, 
male coaches that were coaching males. Okay. And and then going to the training center was a real eye opener because a lot of the guys were supportive, but there were several that are some of them which are still around that were outwardly annoyed by our appearance at the Olympic Training Center because we weren't in Olympics we weren't in the Olympics yet. Okay. So the first time I went out to the training center was nineteen ninety one. Right. We didn't get into the Olympics till 2000. And the general attitude was, why are they here? Um, from, you know, a, probably about half of the guys there were like, why are they here? But it was really a top-down attitude where there were people in the Federation and on the board that had that attitude. Like, yeah, w- there was just enough support for us to make, you know, some pretty, you know, credible and, and substantial steps forward. Because right. the women were, our women were good from yeah. the very beginning. We did really well in international competition. Absolutely. Um, and so there was kind of this ambivalence, I think, from some. And then I think the ones that probably supported us the most, maybe said the least, or I'm yeah. hoping. Um, but there was a like a vocal disdain even for our presence in certain places. And... Um, there was really this sense that we're having to take money from the men to give to the women to take them to worlds and do those things. And why are we doing that? They're not right. in the Olympics yet. And even though um, the American women were, were dominant from the beginning on, yeah. on the international stage, because it wasn't yet as competitive as it is now. You got to remember the Soviets weren't producing any lifters at that time. Uh, and none of the Soviet republics. And so, um, it, you know, of course, it became more and more competitive, and there was there were enough people that realized, like at some point, women will be in the Olympics, and at least we'll be on the front end. Fortunately, right. we had enough support from enough people that uh, that they kept pushing, helping, and of course, there were women in the movement, like Judy Glennie was primary, uh, and there were, it's, of course, it took men. It always takes, uh, when women are closed out, it takes a few good men to open the doors for women to oh, get for sure. like Artie and Murray yeah. um, were there to support the women and to keep uh, pushing women's weightlifting. And then, of course, the men who coached the women, like Jim Schmitz and John Thrush, John Coffey, uh, Bob yeah. Kana, those people were, were supportive. Um, as a coach, I probably got, you know, I got support from guys like Mike Bergner. Yeah. Um, Gail Hatch. I mean, those are the people that would reach out to me and give me enough encouragement to keep going, even when I was um, being ridiculed in the yeah. workroom. room. Um, Lou DeMarco. That, yeah, that's. Well, I mean, I'm glad we had people like that at that time that were yeah. willing to push. And most to, of the women that I think would have been great coaches or would have been like coaching now with my number of years of experience. Yeah. Because I started coaching in the early '90s. It was '93. Uh, end of 92, beginning of 93, when I really started uh, doing all of Stacey's programming. And and then I became a senior international coach in 2003, mm-hmm. right? So that's the span. That was, you know, 10 years um, for for me to get to, to, to that level. So it wasn't like it just happened overnight. And I had to have, you know, I had two girls making the world team. And of course, I've had, uh, you know, other successes now that, that kind of validate it. But mm-hmm. when I first got it, there was a lot of like, oh, well, she only coached women. And um, I mean, they didn't really say that about other men, about yeah, men right. that, that got their uh, 
credentials based on coaching women, but it was right. certainly a thing. And that's why I started coaching men because I realized like to be taken seriously as a legitimate coach and not get ridiculed yeah. and um, made fun of or um, get the kind of snide remarks. And, and you know, I still do. You yeah. were there when I, our team uh, won nationals. Oh, I was. I have a very <laughs> funny picture of us, by the way. <laughs> of you and I? Well, us with the two teams. Oh um, my God, that was. We're not, we won't go into that, but uh, uh, that was a nightmare. I, I all I the, the 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 most like clear memories I have of that is being in the airport trying to fly back home because we had a red eye flight back to Charlotte, and Spencer texting me being like, "Hey, can you guys please just for a few minutes just stop posting stuff." And I like took up. I remember taking a picture of everybody standing in line at the at we're in the TSA check line when I got that text. And I took a picture. I said, "Spencer, I'm like we're at the airport. It's yeah. not us." No, I mean I, I I was clear from the beginning because I knew enough of the guys well enough to know that yeah. it's not it was not coming from any of the guys. Like yeah, that it was. was I was just like, oh my god. I, it was... I, I was friends with basically everybody on that team. Yeah, and I knew that no way that that would come from. Yeah, that any was other guys. just like. Yeah, it was, it was, but I mean, it, but this, but that was for me, like, is such a, a clear reflection for anybody who doesn't understand what it's like to be one of the only women doing things yeah. for a long time in the sport. Um, because a lot of the women that were alongside me throughout the early years, they left. Yeah. And for good reasons, they went and had careers and, and families and stuff like that. But I mean, there were there, there. That's why I'm the only senior national coach, not because I'm so amazing, but because I stayed in the sport and kept coaching. Right, right. Um, but I think that if you want to just kind of put things in a nutshell, like that's how it kind of. And I'm not trying to make anybody feel sorry for him because I don't feel sorry for myself at yeah. all. But that's kind of a reflection of how things went. Right. Like if you did something that was, you know, out of your lane then you know what what business do i have putting together a men's team and winning nationals oh geez yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i you know that's There's nothing but recruiting no coaching involved whatsoever yeah so... right like i wasn't <laughs> coaching those guys for like six and eight years a piece by yeah, the time right. we got there oh, um i mean oh, you know i had the those the top guys like Derek and colin and obviously i never told anybody i coached colin but he was on my team yeah um and i had coached colin in competition from national level competition number one right that was so, I, I remember making that argument with people because everybody was like he's not on her team i was like if you've ever paid attention at national meets she's always there on the side like oh, I i'm just, counting attempts not just on the side i'm there Bo well, but you know what i'm saying me, though like i just i was i was, I was given responsibility for him because of Bo. right Bo's travel schedule he just could not be there right and and much. for me for me being so new to the sport, I just automatically assumed if you're standing on the side there when they're lifting, like you're their coach. Plain well, and simple. I was like, his competition coach. And I yeah. mean, it's fair to say I didn't program for him, but that wasn't the point. Yeah, absolutely. Like, no, it, I, I get it. Yeah. To, to act like everybody on the other teams are all coached by one person is <laughs> yeah. also bullshit. Right. So, I mean, and that's true of most teams. Most teams are comprised of several coaches with lifters that train with different coaches. And what I did was smart. Yeah. And I put together, I saw the gaps, I saw the holes, and I put a team together. Yeah. And yeah. I said, it's if not we're like, going to do this, we're going to do it right. Yeah. And, it's not uh, like we didn't recruit anybody for any well, part of our team. The, the funny part is that my 56 actually went, after we had already started talking, went and tried out for MDUSA. 
I'm well aware. With my blessing. I'm well aware. And y'all didn't take him. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, right? <laughs> because he wasn't, you know, nobody thought about, like, in the 56, you just need a 56. If yeah. you're going to win as a team, a 56 is like gold because they're going to automatically be, like, top six. Yeah, I was going to say the 56 <laughs> and the 62s. Like, that was, like, the one yeah. thing we didn't have any of was those, those little yeah. weight classes. No, you get into those middleweights and it's really, really competitive. I mean, look what who Colin had to that year finagle his way through. Um, and that was, you know, some strategic calling because we didn't, we knew he, he was never the strong clean and jerker. Right. It's right. like get ahead and snatch and then stay in the game and the clean and jerk yep. and then try to predict what everybody else was going to do. Right. Right. And that, you know, he yeah. got, he had never won before. Like he was completely a dark horse. So yeah, to go absolutely. in and assume, I didn't think we were going to go in and win. I yeah. mean, that never even crossed my mind. I thought we we're going to go in and try. Yeah. I was like, okay, fine. If the, and the guys are the ones who asked me to put together a team. They're like, I, yeah. coaching all of us. Um, why don't you put us on one team? Why are we lifting for different teams? Yeah. And I was like, fine, we'll put Makes together Makes sense a team. to me. <laughs> yeah. So what's, who's, who's easier to, or I shouldn't say who's easier. What are the differences between coaching men versus coaching women? Because that's something I get asked all the time and I have my I'll own answer. I'll go with who's easier, women. Um. I agree, but I just, I just, I honestly, it, me personally, I, I have, when it comes to the training side of things, I have way less headaches with my women than I do with my men. So for me specifically, um, the, the, for, for me, the women that I had in the past, I didn't have to try to prove anything to them. They already right. knew my background and my career. And it wasn't like they questioned what I did. They came to you for a reason. Yeah. And I have men that are like that too. Absolutely. And, Likewise. Likewise. There were just enough men that came in and within, you know, three months of me teaching them how to snatch and clean a jerk, they were experts in you more than I did. Of course. And that's just so rare to find with a woman. Like women three months yeah. in, they're still asking questions. Shit, three years in, they're still asking questions. Right, right. And, and, and maybe it was just the particular people I had an experience with. You know, I don't know that that's reflective of the whole gender, but um, I think... Like my initial experience with men was like, I'm not going to sit here and try to convince you. If you don't want to do what I'm telling you to do, go somewhere else. I don't care. Go find exactly. another coach. Yeah. I'm not going to sit here and, but I never had those problems. Um, well, I shouldn't say never. I rarely had those problems with women being very difficult Yeah. and, uh, and, and me feeling like I was having to justify yeah. uh, every single thing that I was doing. It's a different thing to ask questions than to question. For sure. And as a coach, that was, you know, when someone's asking questions versus exactly. questions. Exactly. And that was, as an athlete, that was always one of my biggest issues I always had is I was always asking questions. I wanted to learn because I was interested in coaching. I right. wanted to learn why we well, were that's doing. that's the only way you learn if right. you're interested in coaching. But in my experiences, um, there were a couple of coaches in particular that I dealt with that they just took it as, are you calling me out? Are you questioning what I'm having to say? And it was just like, no, like not at all. And I made sure because of, you know, the way I talk and my size and everything, like I always made, like tried to be just a little more timid when I asked the question. Cause I'm like, I do not want them getting the wrong, you know, impression at all. And that's one well, thing I've, I've had. Most coaches know. Yeah, you would hope like so. You, and if you if vocalize, well, I'm interested because I want to coach. Yeah. That makes it a lot easier. Right. I try to teach um, all of 
my athletes why we do everything we do. Yeah. Like there always has to be a why. Um, and you should be able to back up what you're doing at any point in given time with some sort of rational art uh, explanation. Right. And I, I believe in that. And as a, as a former athlete who asked questions, um, and I, I'm, I was always super inquisitive, and I think I got on some of my coaches' nerves with that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you want to know. I wanted right. to know where the bar needed to be at every single yep. millimeter of my lift. Right. And, and I that's... wanted somebody to tell me, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. And um, why? Like, why it needed to be here, there, wherever. And sure, I had yeah. a really hard time getting those answers. Yeah. That's why I wrote that Art of Coaching Weightlifting course. Because I wanted, um, because I know what it's like to go through that uh, as a coach. Right. And, and an athlete. And and I wanted to put, you know, put the materials together that I think were most beneficial to me, like in the most condensed way possible. Um, and answer. And when I do those seminars, it's like any question goes. Absolutely. You can ask anything. Right. And if yeah. I if I don't have an answer, the, then the answer is I don't know. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's an okay answer to that's give always, to. Yeah, absolutely. Like my, my whole thing when I'm talking to people is I say like, if I can't, if I can't answer the question for you, I'll find the answer. I'll find mm-hmm. somebody that has the answer and I'll put you in touch with them because we don't know everything. That's the whole purpose of this no, whole thing. Is we're just trying to we learn can't. and continue to learn. Like I, I always joke around. I'm like, the minute you think you got it all figured out is the minute you have nothing figured out. Yeah. That's, well, they might be at that point. Um, I mean, it's good to feel confident and comfortable right. in what you know um, when it bears fruit and you've seen it work over and over. But it's another thing to think that now you've in- ingested all there is to ingest. I actually just leave some areas out of my realm. Like, yeah. There's just so much to learn. And, and oh, absolutely. Areas, like mobility and nutrition and all that. I am like, I'll just send you to a physical therapist and a nutritionist. I'll just kind of. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Within, only within the, like so, the area that I feel really like I, I, I acquired some level of expertise. Absolutely. So the women in weightlifting thing. Now you've done a couple. I, I don't remember exactly. I went how. to Iran. You ran. I'm sorry. You you and you had ran the women in weightlifting, and you had uh, Morgan do one of them with you, and I believe Jenny Arthur. Oh, you're talking about, you're talking, no, 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 I said I went to Iran, Iran, the country. Oh, Iran. I thought you were talking about the camps. We're going to talk about all of it. Okay, you're talking about the pre-competition yep. uh, little meetings that we have. Like, uh, what, spurred, what spurred that on? Like, how did that come to be um, a thing? Because I think that's something you know, really cool. Okay, here's the, so when I ran for vice president for the IWF, yeah. I had one competitor in the race, and she was the she had she was the first woman that was ever on the executive board. Her name was Maura Lassen from Canada. Okay, um, extraordinary woman. Um, but it was just me and her running for that. There was a, a Colombian woman who withdrew. Um, okay, uh, but when you're looking at gender parity and these political positions in a sport like weightlifting, and right. I'm sure other sports, one of the problems is the inability to kind of offer up uh, a lot of qualified women because there isn't a depth of women in, in so many of the countries in areas of coaching as well. Technical officials, I think we're doing probably the best. I see more women technical officials than I do coaches and in political positions around the world. Right. Um, but the, the area of people that are involved, women that are involved, is just 
not sufficient. It's insufficient to create really competitive elections on the international stage. And even, um, and we don't have like women only seats. Uh, mm-hmm. We've never had, I've never won a woman only seat except for with the IWF. Okay. Um, all this, all the elections that I've won in the United States, you know, because I started off as an athlete's rep uh, yeah. on two committees. And then I, and then I, after four years of that service um, and a bunch of years in coaching and, and being um, uh, on the, on the, as a coaching and being an athlete, then I, I delved into the political side. Um, and it was just at, because other people encouraged me to. And so I, you know, realized like we need to do something that is more proactive to encourage more women to stay in the sport mm-hmm. and more women um, to come into the sport and play various roles. Yeah, absolutely. Not just coaches, not just technical officials, but also run for athletes rep, run for the board of directors, you know, get on a committee, um, like start being more active. And when, and whenever you're done lifting, don't think, Oh, I'm done with weightlifting. There's more to do. So I tried to get a panel of people who were doing a variety of things. Somebody that was an IWF, a cat one official, which we had, uh, Jody Stumbo and then Kara, who was uh, an international, uh, coach. Yeah. and uh, Morgan, who is an Olympian. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we wanted to give like the different roles that women can be sure you can be an athlete and, and make it to the Olympics. You yeah. can also be a technical official that goes up the ranks and moves into the international category of that. Mm-hmm. You can be a coach and move into the international category of that. But you can also get involved in the, on the political side and um, do the same thing that, that I did in terms right. of running for different committees, getting on the board of directors, which I first ran for in 2009, when we rewrote the bylaws, uh, or the USOC wrote, rewrote our bylaws to put in term limits and um, make sure that you know you couldn't be a coach on a team or something if you were on the board, and they tried to remove all the potential um, conflicts of interest that would be there otherwise, um, or we had seen in the past. <clears throat> but. You know, just really the point was let's make these different opportunities known by starting a better dialogue and communication. Um, and we don't have a women's committee, which I had brought back in 2009 when I first got on the board, but then was removed by another chair. And, uh, and, and frankly, it was inactive. We have diversity and inclusion, which includes women, of course. Right. But um, I felt like that that element was still missing and that there's still work for the women to do amongst the women to try to increase our numbers all around. And um, actually, you know, in the International Weightlifting Federation now, one of our other board members, Paula Aranda, is on uh, the Development and Education Committee. So, um, I mean, that's the goal is to try to elevate as many women as possible through the different ranks of the Federation, um, whether it's technical officials, coaches, uh, and national, local politics, uh, of the sport and international politics of the sport. Right. Um, and you know, I just feel like you know, my conscience, conscience re- requires that I make continued efforts to do all that because, you know, I, you know, I walk around the, the competitions and I see a bunch of other presidents that were the president of our federation before me. And, and I think of like, what do I want to leave? behind because I'm on my last term 
Yeah. And what I want to leave is a wake of other women. Right. That are ready to step into these different roles. That's all. I, I, you can't really get much better than that. So I, I, I'm really glad to see that you take that initiative. Now let's talk about the Iran thing because that was really cool too. Um, I'll let you discuss that. I mean, that that was obviously your deal and all that stuff. So talk about that a little bit. You were the first female to coach at a at, at a competition in Iran, correct? Well, they don't let. Let's just set the premise. In okay. Iran, women aren't allowed to watch men compete. Oh, okay. In any sports. And um, they let me coach Derek. Yeah. So that was, oh my God, I got some stank looks, for real. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> you have to let Derek tell the story, though, because he, he was like, oh my God, I think that guy threw up in his mouth. Some of the looks that I got because I was back there in the warm-up room. You have to. I mean, I was in a gym that had there's the the gym for the women was another in another location. Yeah. So they had no restroom, <laughs> no place for me to change. There was, um, I mean, things like that you don't think of until you're there. Right. Right. Uh, right. But women weren't allowed in that facility. Basically, now I have heard that they would have like in some things they would have like a little foreigner section where they would let foreign women in, but for weightlifting they hadn't done that. Okay. And I think that's really rare as well. But yeah. to be on the floor in the back room, in the warm-up room, like, you know, like uh, I usually am in a competition. And you know, for me to be the only woman, no big deal. But the fact that they, had, they didn't allow women to even watch the men, much less coach the men. So that was a huge step, like, for them to even permit that. And then um, I originally went because the president of the Federation in Iran, I had had previous conversations with, and then we sat down in Anaheim and we had like some real conversations and figured out the logistics. The year before my visa had been declined because of the tit for tat thing with, with Iran and, and yeah. Trump's deal. But um, so the year before I had been declined and they said, we can get you one. But by the time they said that I was in Switzerland, I wasn't going to be able to get my, give them my passport to get a visa. And so we got it all arranged so that I could get a visa for this trip. And so, I mean, we literally didn't get our visas. It was uh, me, Sally Vanderwater, went as a technical official, mm-hmm. and Derek. And it was just, and then and a, a guy that went with us that is actually on the Iranian national soccer team before, but he lives uh, in the U.S. now. And uh, he went with us to kind of just help with the cultural aspects as yeah, well yeah. as interpreting and all of that. Like your guide. And, uh, yeah. It was just kind of to have somebody who knew the landscape. Uh, Cause I was really worried about missteps. Yeah. And oh, getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, so we had to wear head scars and all of that because that's just part of that culture. Right. But they, and they did uh, arrange for me to do a women's training camp and it was, but it was just three hours long. So, and it was like about 50 women, but it was a mixture of coaches and athletes, which made it really hard because yeah. I was getting pulled back and forth between like it, giving them exercises to do and watching them train as well right. as answering all the coaches' questions. Um, but it went off. Uh, it was all women. They kind of closed us off. And so um, we, we had our three-hour seminar. And then I went right after that straight to the venue to coach Derek. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, I went and changed so that I could do uh, one of the opening 
I was in the opening ceremonies. I could give a speech. Very cool. And uh, and so that that and, and Sally was you know a technical official, and I had seen in photographs um, Rihanna, who was the vice president, mm-hmm. uh, basically the women's vice president for the Iranian Federation, which they had started seven months before we went. Uh, this development of women. Um, she's heroic. I mean, she's amazing, but, um, she was, I I saw her with the whole group of women during the opening ceremonies and I had seen them, like some of those women actually official meets before, but they were kids like boys. Um, and from what I understand, they, Sally was the first woman to officiate, uh, at a men's meet there. Um, and so I was the first to coach. Sally was the first to officiate. And we were in the, the same session, the first session with Derek. And then the next day, uh, when I went, I went to go see with like the second session of the day, which was like at four o'clock. Mm-hmm. I walk up and I see a group of uh, four women sitting outside waiting for me. And um, Amir, who was the one I was interpreting, was like, oh, they're waiting for you. And so I went and I said hi and everything. I was like, well, let's go in. And we had been also told that the women were going to be permitted to watch the men. And because I saw them in the opening ceremony, I had assumed that they had been there the whole time. And I just didn't notice because I was coaching. Well, it turns out the day before they had denied them entry. Mm. And um, so all the women that had gone to the camp with me had tried to go watch the competition, watch Derek compete and all that. And the other lifters. And they weren't allowed to watch. And there was some kind of friction between the local officials and the because I had met with the general secretary of the Iranian Olympic committee and everywhere they took us, we met with local political officials. They seemed very open to like what we were doing and the Iranian president himself was supporting it um, of the federation of the weightlifting federation. Uh, And it looked like the Iranian Olympic committee was supporting all of it. Well, when I came up the second day and they were sitting outside, I was like, well, what's, why can't you go inside? They're like, they won't let us. And I was like, but they told me they were letting y'all, just like they told me I was going to be able to coach and all that. And uh, they're like, yeah, well, there's some problems or whatever. And I'm like, well, and Derek was with me. And I was like, go ahead and go in. I'm not I'm not going in without them. And so I sat outside with them. And literally, we watched, you know, the sunset sitting out there until um, it got dark. And then uh, they were, I guess they were asking about me on the inside, the Iranian Federation president and some other people that were in there. Um, the Khuzestan uh, president uh, yeah. of that provincial weightlifting federation. And we're like, where is she? And they're like, well, she's sitting outside with the other women that you won't let in. And uh, they weren't the problem. There was something going on. And I have two different stories. And all I know, it was basically like local versus like these sports officials who had said it was going to happen. And then some local people were kind of standing in the way. Yeah. And um, then after um, we were sitting out there for about an hour or maybe a little bit longer, they, a woman came out very severe looking and started reading names off a list and said, these women can go in and watch. And it was the woman I was sitting with. That's awesome. And so they were able to go in and watch. And, you know, it's just kind of bittersweet. You know, I go and literally sit on the front row in these leather chairs with all of the former uh, Olympic, you know, Iranian, Iranian Olympics and Olympians and um, a bunch of men. Yeah. And they kind of slink off to the side and um, actually started working the meet, like helping with stuff. But um, it's just one of those moments where 
like the sociocultural differences. Yeah, absolutely. Like just hit you smack in your face. And I remember talking to uh, Rihanna as I was going to the airport. She was, I mean, just crying. She was like, this, I can't even imagine. Like, I know the uphill battle for women. And I, you know, it was already started by the time I got involved. Um, just to get into the Olympics, like that whole movement. Right. And how frustrating it could be at times. Yeah. But to have this whole other element added, um, a, a religious and cultural element added that I really just can't even understand because I've, even though women women's weightlifting was maybe looked down upon by some people, blah, 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 it was never what they're going through. Right. Absolutely. And so you just kind of can't help but really, really appreciate the efforts um, and the heart and passion yeah, absolutely. behind these women to take such really risks. risks. Yeah, no, yeah. The guy that we had dinner with one of, several times, he was a journalist, and I was actually on the cover of a bunch of the reformist newspapers, and I jetted. Like, <laughs> yeah. like day two, by day three, I left, and that's when all of this hit the, the media there. Yeah. And, um, that next day, the third day, they let the two of the little girls that were in, uh, they were like six and eight years old, um, actually lift uh, in an exhibition at the end of the, the closing ceremonies. That's awesome. So they were, they, you know, That's really two awesome. days later, they were crying outside because they couldn't get in. Yeah. And now they were lifting in this exhibition. So it was really amazing. And I, and I hate that I, I left and missed that. But I was, I'm not going to lie, I was a little nervous. Like, uh, yeah, everybody's telling me not to go. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. Well, I'm glad everybody. you did, and I'm glad you were able yeah. to. No, I, I wouldn't have missed it. Like, yeah. it was an experience in my life that I never imagined having. Yeah. And there is no way to describe or duplicate. Right. It's just that, impossible. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's what people don't understand about stuff like that. So, I'm set to go to Iraq. You are? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Good it's, on you. It's not the same kind of setup, but I'm set to go to Iraq. And um, from the IWF Women's Commission perspective, yeah, one of my goals is to try to reach out to as many countries and women that are interested in developing their their women's programs, and just do as much as I can while I can. That's awesome. I mean, that, you can't ask for more than that. That's, I'm, I'm really glad we have somebody like you that's able to do that kind of stuff. All right, guys, we're going to have to pause it right there. That was part one of our episode with Ursula Garza Papandrea. There was so much information in that episode that we had to split it up into two parts. So tune in the same time, same place next week for part two of our interview with the boss lady, Ursula Garza Papandrea. Thanks for listening to Strength Agenda Radio. Be sure to visit strengthagendaradio.com to join the conversation access the show notes, and discover exclusive offers and resources for our listeners. Until next time, train hard, lift heavy.